0: Uh, with Chris Tucker in the movie, I gotta ask you, what was he up to uh, with Jeffrey Epstein, and when is he gonna, when is he gonna fess up, and when are we gonna know the truth about what what Chris Tucker was up to with Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> no,
1: I don't have that answer. I'm gonna let you answer that question. I don't
0: have. That. I don't know. And that, believe me, I refresh Chris Tucker's Twitter page every day, and it's he's not. You know, unlike a lot of other Epstein affiliated people, they kind of have gone um stealth mode and just aren't are staying out of the limelight right now. But Chris Tucker's still out there like d- doing doing things and promoting it and I'm like, I need to know why you were in Africa with Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein in 2002, you know?
1: Cuz he was one of the biggest stars in the world. I mean, Chris Tucker, he self-destructed. He reminds me a lot of Dave Chappelle. I won't say he self-destructed. Mm-hmm. I will say that he opted out. He opted out of a of a what probably was a very harsh system to live up to or an expectation to live up to at that time. I don't recall him ever wearing a dress, but there's so many. Yeah. There's so few black well, men.
0: Fifth element. Oh shit. Right, I'm excited to talk about these movies here today with you, Danielle. Uh, this is Black and White Movies. Welcome back. And today we are talking 1995's Dead Presidents and 1993's Falling Down. How are you doing, Danielle?
1: I'm doing well. How about yourself, man? I can't wait to jump into these. Yeah, I'm going. But um, we
0: should tell the listeners you know, we haven't had a chance to address the state of the world and the politics. That are going on and life's moving fast anything you want to just say about you know because we talk about uh, black and white issues on here so anything what's on your mind like in the state of the world
1: i just want to i just want to say that everybody just hang in there if you're not politically active it's time for your crash course um because your life depends on it literally right now and um, I think me and Jared have been fighting this fight for a long long time politically and trying to get people active in you know in our own separate ways, fighting amongst ourselves but mostly lining up. but it's time to uh, pick a lane mm-hmm. and for everybody to really just get in there because it is it's dangerous right now actually. we're in a very peculiar state in our country so and we can't leave so you're trapped yeah you can't
0: leave now. So good luck. No, Canada's not taking you or me. So no, yeah, but that's right. Pick a lane. Um, and we're talking, of course, like Black Lives Matter and just the what's under in the current and in the air of this whole country. And I think like a lot of the countries finally starting to uh, see problems that were there all along and recognize them kind of the wider side of this country. Some people are having a reckoning with things that they didn't want to see before to different extents and you know things are coming to a head and we're seeing people in the streets so if you're out there in the streets good on you thank you and um i don't know i'm not speaking for danielle but um the movement out there has my love and support yeah
1: i want to i want to also say r.i.p to uh Michael Brooks. I feel like, um, you know, I'm not a huge progressive. I don't I don't think I fall fallen any lane, but it was a little shocking to me. But I will say that if there were was a person that I listened to and heard him out, whether I agreed or not, he was always very thought out in terms of his uh, politics and uh, forced me to listen to things that I didn't care about. And so, you know, that was really shocking to hear about his death. And I don't know him personally, of course, clearly, um, but he affected me and I thought that, you know, that was a really tragic loss. So um, give people their flowers while they're alive and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pay attention to your politics, folks.
0: Yep, because politics is paying attention to you. and oh, we're.
1: It's, it's going to make a choice for you <laughs> Whether you want to play or not It's playing with you right now
0: Yep And we're mm-hmm. talking a little bit of politics today With these two movies Dead Presidents and Fallen Down Where do you want to start?
1: Uh, let's start from the beginning Let's start with 1993 I mean, look this These two years were like uh, From 93 to 95 You know, you have iconic movies um, in the nineties, the mm-hmm. this being one of them, um, probably lesser well known, but it speaks so clearly to today. You know, Pulp Fiction, 94, uh, Menace to Society, 95. You have uh, such an array, a vast array of adult grown up movies Not with the triple X. I mean, yes, uh, Showgirls did come out during this time too, but you know, you really had some important topics and falling down was probably amongst uh, one that woke me up when I was a teen. I guess I was a young a young person at that time, and I didn't realize probably the the impact it would have later on. I think that not economically viable uh, was the thing mm. that stuck in my head the most. Yeah, um, which it was a small blur, you know, blip on the movie, but it was a huge impact. And it it kind of covered the reason why falling down was such an important movie was because it didn't matter about race in particular. It was, it was universal kind of where we are now. So this is the exasperated version of uh, what it looks like to lose everything and somebody taking it to the ultimate and people not understanding, but now you have a whole country of uh this character Mm -hmm. michael Douglas does an outstanding role in this particular film Uh, we don't know his name through the majority of the film but we find out later and he uh basically loses it he loses his shit
0: both these movies kind of have characters that are they we see them get to their last straw but falling down is all in one day of like one man's last straw breaks and um, it, it cascades through a series of escal- escalating violences. And, yeah, this movie, was—I you're right, these are both formative. I saw them in the 90s when I was, like, a teenager. And what I thought of them then, having that teenage energy is different than now and like i hadn't seen falling down in decades so i had said okay i i kind of remember it as he's kind of like this maga kind of guy if trump if this was 2020 he'd be a trump supporter but the energy was a little bit different like i remembered everything being intensely racialized in the movie and in a way it kind of is but he does you know, this is LA um like a year or two after um Rodney King. It's a white man kind of going on a on a on a quest, a journey through like East LA on his way to you know Venice Beach, right? So um you expect everything to be racially charged, but I think the movie itself made pains to show the character as not racist. I would argue he is in his own way a white supremacist. He does work, did work in the defense industry after all but he didn't see himself as racist or the violence he was perpetrating as racist it it did come from more an economical he had that strong divorce dad energy and it was coming from a point of economics and you highlighted that moment where not economically viable that was a a black character who couldn't get a loan from the bank and our main character um, Michael Douglas he looks at that character with empathy because he can kind of feel that energy. So in a way...
1: Pause and give give a shout out to Vondi Curtis Hall. He's a pretty good director. I like him as an actor and a director, but yes, let's give him a shout out.
0: <laughs> so what as, a, as an actor, what as a director himself, what do you think made him as a person want to take on that kind of cameo role in this movie?
1: I don't think he was at the time. I think he grew into that. Mm. um later he actually um you know has directed a couple of films his wife actually directed uh, the harriet movie um so they're both writer director um you know have gone that trajectory throughout um these years but he was an actor at the time i think he comes from a theater background um so that of course being drawn to that he was an adult at the time i can assume that that landed somewhere um growing up, I can imagine 60s, however old he is now, he's probably about 70s, 60, late 60s uh, so you grew up with an energy that reflects that um that space, you know, you feel that space and time And I don't know that I see uh, Michael Douglas's character as a white supremacist. I think he's just a white person. I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of what, Um, You know, we have this otherisms, you know, with each other so much that, you know, right now the reason why Black Lives Matter is is undergirded or what do you call it, uh, supported so strongly by white people is because now all of a sudden they can see what we've been saying all along, and that we're not crazy, yeah, and that is unequal, and that you know the Navy guy excuse me for my rant, but goes off and tries to talk to these people. And, you know, they're beating him with a baton in Portland, you know, and, you know, he thought he could use his skin and privilege. I would never go up and walk up on military people with weapons and and ask them anything, Mm -hmm. not a damn thing. Right. But he felt like that, that that was something that he could do. Um, And he realized that, Hey, you're on the other side now it's us and them. And so I felt like that this particular character was a reflection of that reality. Just like you said, the, both of these characters, it's not quite cradle to the grave in Dead Presidents, but it does have a really much longer lifespan and it kind of gives you much more support for mm-hmm. um, a character. You know, I don't want to move too quickly um, across Ooh. these projects, but I will say that Dead Presidents is probably the best black drama I've ever seen. I, I'll, I'll I have to uh, give my uh, disclaimer mm-hmm. that for me it was you know so well done in, in terms of just um, showing out. If anybody asks, you know, what movie do I need to watch? Yeah. I'll say Dead President* because it gives. It lays it out there on the mat. It, it's it's so clear.
0: Instead of just a day in the life, it is an epic story, which you didn't... Um, I remember as a teenager being just dis- kind of disappointed in it because it's marketed as a heist movie. But you re- It's right. several movies in one almost because you see them in there prior to Vietnam. Then you see the Vietnam era where several of these friends go off uh, to fight in vietnam and then you see the the post vietnam and the world they come back to with not just having a ptsd but having ptsd as a black man in this in this country And, you know, not getting what you feel is due due to you. So he saw in his own short life, he saw his economic situation decline uh, greatly and his living situation decline after taking the steps that he thought were the right steps. And the most interesting aspect to me is seeing these characters kind of pre-Vietnam and their dynamic to how that that interplays post Vietnam and go moving into the heist to work together now as adults in the heist.
1: It was marketed as a heist film. And that was a pure letdown for people who went to go see that kind of, you know, heat came out, I think around this time as well, which Mm. was the ultimate heist movie. Let me tell it completely unrealistic, but, uh, you know, super dope, but when it comes to what you said in terms of how it goes across decades or a decade or however long this this takes place over, you know, you can replace that now with mass incarceration and people coming home from prison and people and how many black families have lost um, men to uh, prison in the prison system, you know, for ridiculous crimes, for weed, or mm-hmm. uh, you know possession of of drugs or whatever the case may be yes albeit illegal at the time you know completely unfairly prosecuted I'm not for you know saying people shouldn't be prosecuted I say people should be prosecuted equally <laughs> so yeah. if that's gonna, if that's what we're doing then let's do it for everybody right so then we wouldn't have this disproportionate amount but you know the devastation that Vietnam had on uh, black men and and them actually going, you know, there was a controversy with Muhammad Ali going and, you know, this meaningless war was so violent and so um, disproportionately black and um, Hispanics and, you know, poor people going. You know, we know that our current um, Cheeto, he did not go, our burned up Cheeto now. Um, He he didn't, he he, made, he found a way out of it, right? He's a draft dodger. Yeah. And um, a lot of people couldn't do that. And they kind of talk about that in the opening scene of the movie, about how you can draft the dodge. And I think that yeah. Chris Sander's character did try to draft the dodge. He went to college and, and flunked out.
0: It didn't work, <laughs> yeah. So
1: he ended up, you know, in the same special units force uh, with his friend. And, you know, it, it was, these are kids. So I think they tried to make that connection to show, like, you know, these are young people who think they know what they're doing. They're, he's going because he wants to travel. You don't travel to the swamp and and kill people that you don't know. That's
0: exactly crazy. yeah.
1: You know that's insane.
0: And those those were some of my favorite moments that that came up. And there's kind of a subtlety to them. It didn't. But when they find uh, the member of their their team uh, disemboweled. And there's the flyer that says, you know, uh, black man, this isn't your war. That, that was like a real thing that happened. And um, the Viet Cong actually really did try to uh, uh, identify with certain aspects of the soldiers. And they had the, the, the politics to know that. Hey, your own country's at war with you as well. And then across on this side, they kind of had these the stand-ins for the Black Panther Party. It was that was it, the Nat Turner Brigade, something like that? I think they called him in this movie. Uh, they yeah. they were saying the same thing as like, look, it's, the the Vietnamese people aren't are, are the enemy of of the black man here. So I I like that the movie identified that many of many of our protagonists didn't quite make that connection, but it. I think that's an important connection to make. And I appreciated how, this movie stood back and looked ju- kind of judged the war in a subtle way. They just presented you with the information where you can make your own call. But we subtly see those things like when they get back from war, we see that Chris Tucker's character Skip. he's got a sickness where he's itching all the time, and it's not just a heroin addiction or drug addiction. It's the Agent Orange. He's been you know poisoned from Agent Orange, which was a common thing to happen to infantry men. Um, And just the PTSD. So many movies show you the war, but they don't show you the PTSD. And this uh, movie showed you that.
1: Yeah. You know, I've had friends who were in Iraq. And, you know, I, I always wonder. I'm like, so what do you do... You know, in between coming here and coming the battlefield, they're like nothing. You just get on, the, you get on the plane and go home. Like there's no in between, like decompression. You know what I'm saying? Moments to like kind of like reacclimate yourselves to, you know, regular life, normal life. Going to the grocery store and the Walmart, and they're like, no, you, you're there and then you're home. And I find that to be traumatic for anybody and so many people have gone back and that's why they serve multiple tours because it's almost better to be have your mind busy with mm-hmm. doing something and being able to protect yourself you can't walk down the street arm to the teeth you know what I mean so you can do that in Iraq if you yeah you a tour so you know that kind of trauma is, you know, trauma is trauma, whether or not you're experiencing it in gang life or whether you're experiencing it from war or whatever the case may be. But yeah, you said it, it was, you know, it starts out as a coming of age movie,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: And we see this wonderful budding, you know, uh, this kid trying to find himself and this woman trying to find her man, they're not really seeing eye to eye uh, in terms of that, but they like each other and and seeing where that's going and that you want that to happen, you're rooting for that. But it changes, it changes so many times with the layers and, you know, I thought that that was a very significant way to kind of look at, you know, Oppression, Mm -hmm. I guess, is what the systemic oppression, Um, even all the way to the end with Charlie Sheen, you know, like you're not a Marine, you know. Oh, Martin Sheen. Yeah. Oh, did I say Charlie?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Martin
1: Sheen as the as the judge. They're all the same people to me. I'm sorry. They look exactly like (laughs) they
0: have a similar. They have a similar sheen to their face. Yeah. Right. They like all have the sheen face, especially uh, Joe Estevez, like looks identical to Martin Sheen to me. But yeah, the judge he called it like um, Anthony when he's in court, he kinda has an outburst of anger and he says, Like, look, I hey, I was, you know, fighting for this country, killing as I was supposed to. And uh, Martin Martin Sheen like handed him his ass and was like, you know, there's there's good killing and there's bad killing and any any anyone who would do what you did is, you know, not a true Marine. Which, you know, I would say is not the case. That's this movie shows you that there is... If you kill unjustly under the flag of the U.S., then that's still good killing. You can, right. in the jungle, saw off a person's head and put it in a bag, and you're still a, a good person. But, you know, if you come home and you kill a, a, a cop trying to get some money to um, support your family, you're a bad person. And... Right life's not black and white like that there are circumstances that drive people to do crime Um, and this movie recognizes that and says hey these are specific circumstances where someone took a prescribed path to do the right thing to do the good thing and they just reach when that doesn't work out for so long they reach a a breaking point especially if they're extremely psychologically traumatized by all the things they were doing that, that are supposed to be good things.
1: Right. And you don't know what, what, what's the end result. Right. So I think one of the biggest, um, excuse me for my, I keep thinking I'm turning my phone down. so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the things taken it back to falling down is that they didn't, mention, but he, I think he was a vet. So I felt like he had PTSD. He worked in the defense department, Yeah. but he had some sort of traumas. His his mother, um, you know, alluded to it, you know, that he had problems and he wasn't okay. What you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg in falling down. Yeah. Right. Seeing somebody that literally is in traffic and like, fuck it. I can't take this shit. No motherfucking mo. Yeah. Right? So that is what happens in falling down. And this is the path that we're gonna get to to get there. It was much more of a slow burn with dead presidents Mm -hmm. and that story trajectory. And you get to, you know, all of the things service his ultimate demise in the end. So it's the same exact character. I think we have a lot less sympathy for Michael Douglas's character, unfortunately, uh, which we probably should. And I think that's where we kind of mess up is to say like, oh, you know, they call it what they call it, the, you know, the pity Olympics or whatever they call yeah. it. But it's like, both are equally messed up. I'm not saying you can fix anything that, we don't know exactly what happened to him to what, you know, made that cheese slip off the cracker, but we could assume that some probably some messed up stuff happened to him as well. Right.
0: Yeah. And if the dead presidents was just the third act where it was the planning of the heist and the heist, you might not have as much sympathy for Anthony's character, but as it stands falling down, is almost like a dark fantasy where it's just very visceral scene after scene of escalating violence from this person who has snapped. And yeah, he was, he worked in the defense department may have been a vet, But the connective tissue to me is these are two people who wanted to seemed like they wanted to just be good providing family people and their pride fit into that. So Anthony, he has his uh, partner, his baby mama, you know, telling him, you know, you are not you're not providing for us. So that's why, you know, the sugar daddy is still coming around who was there when he was off at war um, and providing. And in um, Fallen Down, his ex-wife actually got a restraining order against him. So these are two men who have their pride, who are wannabe providers, and it's the external circumstances of life they kind of blame for not being, standing in their way of being the providers they want to be.
1: Wanda was her name, his his significant other. Mm -hmm. And um, Anthony... You know, they had a very combative relationship. I think that they did not have, you know, it was kind of a relationship that they felt obligated to after his tour, right? So we're trying to figure it out, but now we got this kid, so we're kind of stuck together. And Cuddy, of course, you know, he, he's <laughs> dropping gems all over the
0: place. I just right? love, I love Cuddy. I wanted to see the Cuddy movie, actually. I right?
1: know, <laughs> he was, I mean, please. He, he, he's big game in that movie. He didn't say anything but, wrong, but
0: he didn't, he was never right, but he didn't say anything wrong either. I know,
1: right? We all try, we try to make everything so black and white, and I yeah. think that's why I was drawn to both of these movies. But it's not very black and white, it's very gray. Yeah. And, um what he said to him in terms of uh how he had to take care of his woman while he was away right mm-hmm. and um that tension that friction that it brought to the relationship and that he tried to compartmentalize it and deal with it on top of losing his job on top of you know being having ptsd on top of you know just the messed up overall situation of the environment that he was in and, and it was probably the first time in a movie that I saw a couple argue and I understood the violence yeah. of that argument. i have you know, I've, I'm i always either like, you know, you, you can't hit a woman. No, you can't. You shouldn't. Nobody ever should. But it was the first time that I felt like, mm, that was, that was an impassioned, uh, passionate situation. Yeah. And I felt like, that's more often the case and we got to find better ways uh, in relationships to not antagonize. But, uh, you know, when you're in film, it's very rare, you know, people are trying to do music swells and they're trying to, you know, emote emotions, but that was a real, that came from a real place. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like what did you think about that scene in particular when he kind of like cracks?
0: Well, I like the way you put it because you're right. and, And when you see in movie violence, um, and there's a unless it's like pre like 1960s when men were slapping women left and right in movies. Um, if if a man hits a woman in a movie, it's it always kind of is telling the audience this is a, a bad evil character. But we have a, char- a protagonist with nuance to them. Um, so I would say the movie earned that moment in the sense that it did all the groundwork to show you that this character the what this character has gone through. To have him have the that uh, the the PTSD, he's a damaged person essentially. So he never, he's not the person you would uh, card as being a wife beater, or and that's probably not in his character. If he was to live out a whole long life, he probably would, uh, in that relationship, probably that might be the only time he ever hits her, you know. But it was that moment that was.
1: He he didn't hit her. He didn't hit her. I think it, it probably called for him to hit her. And it made more sense, you know, in the in terms of how the scene played out with these characters because yeah. they did a very convincing job. I was scared for her and she looked scared for real. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, I was, I felt like there was some method acting going on here and um, that I was watching something that I didn't, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't have been watching. Um, so it was almost more powerful when he choked her. I was just like, yeah. Oh my gosh, like this is so intense. Yeah.
0: It be, yeah. And you're right. And that's like, if your goal as a filmmaker is to make a protagonist be, um, sympathetic, that's not something you put in the movie, but to, to understand how a person who's quote unquote, a good person gets to that point where they can instigate a heist, you know, kill someone in a, in a heist, um, they perpetrating violence upon your loved ones might be a component of that because he was just has reached psychological breaking point after psychological breaking point. So I think you just have to look at it as this is a movie that's trying to have three dimensional characters where you're not that, that would be the opposite of his save the cat moment. That would be, you know, his kill the cat moment. Where you're like, hey, he's a good character who has has is will do has done bad things or will do bad things.
1: When they're getting ready for the heist, you know, and he recruits um, her sister, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, I ain't fucking with your sister no more. Um, it kind of like he's not apologetic about that moment, yeah, at all. You know, it, it was almost like she earned it, and we agree. Not that we believe that we, we stand up, you know what I mean? We don't agree with it, but we're like, yeah, you probably, you guys probably shouldn't be together. That's not yeah. working out. Uh, I think that was what it was. So not to put too fine a point on it, but I wanted to relate that to the difference in violence that happens in falling down at the end of the movie where that's the climax, right? right? So his whole entire mission. Sorry, spoiler alert, you twenty years later, good luck. Okay. He um gets there to that pier, and his his sole purpose is to kill, you know, I don't know if it's the wife himself, the wife himself and the kid, you know, but it I don't feel like we earned it there. I don't yeah. feel like you know, it was just kinda like almost a letdown in terms of how that resolution comes about. So it's kind of to, it should show you that I felt like they spent way too much time in the in the cop storyline and not enough time in the Michael Douglas storyline. And I'm so sorry, guys, uh, that I don't have their names because uh,
0: it was Robert Duvall played the um, the cop on his last on his last day. Oh yeah, I mean I know Robert Duvall's <laughs> name.
1: I mean the character, uh, Sergeant
0: <laughs> Ma- Sergeant character. Martin Pendergrast. Pendergrass,
1: yeah. Pendergrass, You kept calling it Pendergrass. Prender- yeah. So I felt like we spent <clears throat> a lot of time on that, and that really wasn't the story, um, nor was it interesting in terms of they didn't do anything with it. Like, you know. Well, if, uh, the, if
0: the story's about, if you look at the story thematically as like Michael Douglas is wanting, he has a divorced dad energy. Robert Duvall has like the hen picking wife who, who just has to whisper on the phone, oh, I'm sorry, honey, I'm still at work. And so, yada, yada. Uh, so, like, yeah, his wife's character, that aspect of his character was. I didn't know how to feel about that because his wife was just, like, awful to him. And then he had this weird kind of relationship with his, like, his protege, younger woman, um, right. who kind of looked up to him. And it was, there was, the movie was almost trying to tell you, like, oh, if only, like, if only this guy got divorced, he could be, you know, having a good time with a, his younger, younger co-worker kind of thing. And
1: yeah, that didn't even match. Like, what? The, <laughs> yeah, and
0: that. the movie, like, hated his his wife pretty much and went the pains right? to tell you how much the movie hated his wife. I feel of, like
1: the whole right. movie hated all women, actually. Um, there are no mm-hmm. redeeming characters um, for women in this uh this movie at all i didn't care for the female cop Uh, i didn't care for the wife i didn't care for his wife uh you know so and that's only those are the only primary three in the film so i just think i i I blame white screenwriters for that yeah um
0: or male screenwriters especially
1: i mean excuse me that's
0: what i meant yeah sandra Detective Sandra Torres. I you know her yeah her character was almost like a a, a Mary Sue or she was too idealized to like what a a, a police sergeant would kind of um fantasize about.
1: If we're going to remake movies, mm-hmm. I would love to see a, a Falling Down, you know, 2.0 or whatever, 2020. I would love to see that movie uh again because I think if you can kind of like really I mean, there's no shortage of (laughs) material for a character like that now. So, um, but it was, I I do understand the themes. I think it was, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, in terms of uh, getting from the 110 freeway to Venice in a day, Mm -hmm. thats a little,
0: Well, that's why I call it a fantasy, you know.
1: Yeah, it's super. It's like it's sci-fi, right? It's
0: hard enough in a car to make that journey right? in a day, but he's <laughs> he's just hoofing it on foot there.
1: Yeah, I'm like, what, what, what? Maybe they don't know uh, what with uh, Los Angeles, but okay, I could buy it. I'll buy it.
0: I think it had a a bit more meat to chew on than I had remembered. Watching as a teenager, you just get a thrill out of, like, the... Not the kills, but the, you know, the scenes of violence and, and stuff... Uh, but seeing it now, I was happy to see it that, you know, that I didn't have to see the character just as this racist guy. Like this, the scene where he confronts the white supremacist, that white supremacist character was almost like what my memory of Michael Douglas's character was, having not seen the movie for so long. So it was kind of when the white supremacist sees himself in Michael Douglas and identifies with him, it was a joy to see Michael Douglas kill him like, hey, and that's not me yeah to say like hey I'm right. I'm not you actually like you know <laughs> so uh, I liked that and then I, I the other part I loved is when he uh, really brings his Karen energy and he's in the uh, burger joint and they uh, he wants to speak to the manager because they don't have breakfast like that
1: oh yes, yeah, totally my favorite part uh, yeah for sure no that that definitely uh, rang true yeah yeah uh, you know, you get this little puny burger.
0: <laughs> We've all been there when, when you know, the, the restaurant doesn't have exactly what you want. And he takes it to that extreme to, let me speak to you, the manager. But it's funny, but it tur- that's a moment that also turns poignant when he looks at a kid sitting there and sees the fear in the kid's eyes. And so it's just a quick exchange, a cup between them. But you, you realize that now he's seeing like, oh, oh, shit, I'm being, like, kind of scary and bad. And he kind of, like, cools off and backs down in that moment. Well, I
1: think that's it, – it, overall, you, that's why I think he doesn't realize he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't realize, like, he's going a, a step too far until – we get to midpoint in the movie, and he embraces it when he's out there shooting bazookas at the uh, you know Caltrans workers. Yeah, um, I think the whole entire movie is is a, um, a great in concept. You know, uh, maybe it was fine in execution back in the nineties, but you know it doesn't really hold up over time. It's kind of you know a little ridiculous, but in in theory, in terms of how it plays out, it is. Um, pretty much, I think everybody can imagine that time when they walked into a burger joint and you were like, hey, can I get the fill in the blank? And they were like, oh, yeah, I'm at the El Pueblo Loco, but we don't have chicken. Okay. I remember that day. Or like they've been,
0: right now, they've been advertising um, Dr. Pepper cream soda on television. And I've been, everywhere I've been going, I've been looking for Dr. Pepper cream soda for like the last month. And no one has it. So it's like, why why are you putting these ads out there and I can't find it?
1: It sounds disgusting. I hate Dr. Pepper, tastes like medicine. So um, let's move on from thinking about that experience. (laughs) That's gross.
0: Now, Dr. Pepper is an excellent beverage and cream soda is an excellent beverage and the marriage of the two is something I very much desire.
1: Damaged. But um, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you for that. Do you feel like they earned the heist? Do you feel like in in their presence that it was a crazy idea? Like it was no, it was,
0: and it was, and that's worth. where like I feel like it, this movie definitely shouldn't have been marketed as a heist movie. Uh, but I I could have definitely used more of the heist elements leading up to it. I would have liked them seen. Seen the team do, like, one crime, like, leading up to the heist. More about kind of walking you through planning the heist. They had one kind of scene explaining, and then he he wrestles with it, and then he decides to do it, and then they're just doing it. So... Oh, I really appreciated how we know how the team came together and the dynamic, dynamics of the team because we saw them in Vietnam, pre-Vietnam. And there was some you know, poignancy to the reversal of the, the Skip and um, uh, Cleon characters where uh, in Vietnam, Skip froze. Chris Tucker, he froze up. But then during the heist, uh, Cleon freezes up. So th- there's, they had that interesting character buildup. But the heist, I could have used like a lot more heist, especially because they have this super cool makeup and look that is, you know, so iconic from that movie poster and stuff. And that, that to me, I see the tie in with the you're putting on the war paint in Vietnam. I would have liked to see just more of this heist.
1: Um, I, you know, it's funny you say that. I think that the clunkiness of it was the point right it was a desperate move it wasn't a the that were mm. criminals they're yeah. not criminals uh they are they want to sh- you know stick it to the man and this is the way you can stick it to the man and you know hurry up and come up so you can build right yeah um so it's kind of like a train robbery i guess um mm. you know, it wasn't really necessarily uh, this wasn't heat. right this is not professional criminals trying to get out there and do it uh you know chris tucker uh is my favorite quote in the movie and that movie was you know you might as well put an ad in the paper you're gonna get everybody because trying to bring everybody in to um make sure that they had enough backup enough cover and you know with their buddy being this quote-unquote weapons expert ballistics or whatever yeah. fire whatever he was but he's a pyromaniac
0: blew up the whole truck
1: <laughs> and he was, had a great time he that was worth his uh the price of tea um and so you know what it what it showed to me more than anything and i think that what you said is why not for nothing the vietnam element of, of dead presidents was kind of trash to me and, well, it was uh, shot I, in Flor shot in florida that was why it was trash to me. I w- yeah, uh, I wish I, that looked you know, better, but. I do wish that part, I mean, it just kind of didn't, it didn't add up to the rest of the film. Like mm-hmm. it didn't kind of give um, that element. I think we, it, it wasn't necessary. It, we. It was a little more extended than it needed to be, but I understood the point of putting yeah. it in there and to give that relationship to those characters. So you understood those um, you know that that dynamic that you said it kind of had a through line when they come together and you realize and and I think the reason why I, I cared so much about this heist was because I understood that those people came together but they weren't necessarily friends mm-hmm. right so this is like you know that somebody's going to fall it's not like you know the cartel or something like that where you you were all loyal to one another these were just people who were like trying to it's a means to an end right so we knew the cleon was gonna snitch as soon as he got caught
0: yeah cleon's like such a frustrating character yeah
1: but such a good character right? yeah like, and, I, and we saw that actor in um uh
0: queen, queen and slim so um what's Bokeem, his name Bokeem Bokeem, yeah so he yeah. he's a delight as an actor but that character is like ah
1: yes uh you know so many good characters in this keith david Well,
0: keith david i'll, I'll watch him in anything he's like anything. love keith david you didn't mention good. uh Ter- we haven't even talked about terrence howard yet i know and like yeah. why does why does terrence howard have to be so terrence howard in all his movies now no, this
1: was iconic terrence howard this was what made terrence howard terrence howard <laughs> i would uh i would have paid the price
0: of the ticket just to hear him say the way he pronounced man
1: Man, man,
0: man, I can't say how he said it. Yeah,
1: no. Terrence Howard, this made him who he was. Like this is this was his coming out party right here. Oh, man. And, he, so and
0: kinda of like in it, kinda of like when we saw him in Best Man, he's the character that gets to like tell you the truth from the beginning and be like righteous but be a total asshole at the same time as being righteous. Because he tells him uh, from the beginning, you know, that this is a or, or or when he returns, he tells him, you know, that was a a white man's war.
1: You know, and there's so many gems, and it wasn't preachy. I didn't feel like it was preachy. It was really just kind of like spin game, yeah. Um, you know, all around. I think the only person that it was it didn't dawn on was Anthony, who had this really idealistic view of what the world was. Yeah. His mother tried to tell him. His brother tried to tell him. His father was impacted, <laughs> so he said nothing. But. You know it's kind of like you you know it it was a coming of age story. it really just was he mm-hmm. had to figure this stuff out on his own and the the tragedy you know uh, there's what just comedies and tragedies right there's no in between yeah, and this was a tragedy, and the tragic is that the realization of him finding it out he's in prison at the end, right.
0: And I, um, I, I appreciated your perspective on the the heist because I like what what you made me realize is like crime in real life isn't cool like it always is in a heist movie, and so that that this ended, we were set up to 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 expect a cool heist movie. It had all the elements of that if you just saw the advertising, but then when you get into it, it's just like. It holds off the heist till the end, and it barely gives it to you. And then it's like this actually isn't cool. Most heists are planned poorly; they don't go off as planned, and everything turns to, to shit. Yeah, right.
1: And that's that's why it was so realistic to me because it's like no, this shit is not sexy. Yeah. Like at the end, you're you're running from the cops. Even if you do get away with money, you know, it's blood money. I think set it off did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a lesson you know, uh, to the, to the word, to the wise, like if you pay attention to these, you can kind of like not do as I say, not as I do. And I think these, when it comes to black films, you know, you end up having to be heavy handed on the preachy side, but it just shows you, it's like, look, make your decisions from here. Right. You, you're not, you know, uh, you're not Robert De Niro in Heat. You're not mm. Val Kilmer. You cannot blend in with society. You're gonna stick out no matter what. So you do this. You know, even though my friends were in college at the time, we we, we were wearing dead presidents makeup, you know, to the <laughs> to the uh the Halloween party. So it was, you know, we definitely saw that part as iconic. Uh
0: oh, you was, you were doing you just admitted to doing whiteface. You're do. cancelled now.
1: What are you going to do? Right, cancel me, please. Everybody. Let's get the, you can start pouring it out like uh, Nino did in, in, in New Jack City. <laughs> cancel <this. laughs>
0: One thing about 90s movies is they always had great soundtracks. And uh, Dead Presidents is an example. Um, New Jack City was the one, though. That was a great soundtrack.
1: Yes, no, I love New Jack City soundtrack. Dead Presidents, um, actually the best soundtrack ever. How about we get into that part? Um, you know, the uh, Isaac Hayes opening mm-hmm. is uh, that, that, uh, who who was the original score uh, that was? Um, Danny
0: Elfman, which I, Danny the, Elfman. the score, I, I didn't love the score to the movie, but the, all the incidental really? music was good. Yeah.
1: The score was my favorite part of the movie. Really? Like it was actually my favorite it's the score and the and the soundtrack. They actually made a version number two. Uh there's two Dead President soundtracks and I listen to them both to this day as if um it didn't just happen. So all that to say that I don't wanna leave out the element of his girlfriend. Yeah, Wanda. I feel like that particular expectation to, you know, she's seeing her friends and they're in love and they're getting married um, and she felt this obligation. She held on, on her own accord, of course. Yeah. So you know, uh, apparently she was, you know, this beautiful, this beauty. Um, and, and well sought after. And she was kind of bitter as well. I don't think that she holds enough of the blame in this particular movie, even though she's, I guess, an antagonist to him, you know, throughout. But I feel like that she holds a lot of resentment. And I, I don't like looking at things as, as bad and good, but yeah. in this particular thing, I just think that... Uh, you know, you saw the crush from the little sister mm-hmm. that she kind of was having on her on him. And it's like, you know, in another world, you want to see them hook up. Oh, know, yeah. what, what does that look like, right? And so it was it was just very intricate on, in comparison, you know, how I was looking at it in terms of how the women characters mesh up. These characters were so much more realistic and they were so much more, um, actualized and human whether it's the mom who we only got to see for a Mm -hmm. hot second um and then the, the two sisters but they were actually very real um
0: yeah and the sisters um delilah and juanita i wanted to see more of both of them they had they were rounded out characters and even in the fights between anthony and juanita um I, I felt she was being harsh on him being that, you know, he had PTSD. He was, he did have a job, but at the same time I saw empathized with her because they did kind of feel an obligation to return to their relationship, even though if it hadn't been for the war, they probably would have broken up long before. They both were giving it a shot and they both were in it. He it's hard to to make a living in this world and it's hard to make a living when your only skill is you know killing people half the world away so i she you could say she didn't have enough empathy for him and she was too harsh on him but at the same time what we didn't see is when he was gone she was in a war of her own she was in a war of how do you raise a child as a single mother where the father isn't even sending you letters anymore and you don't know what's going on so she you don't
1: know what your relationship going to be when he comes home right
0: so like they don't show it but she was in a war of survival and she did what she had to do so in a sense it wasn't it wasn't fair for anthony to judge her or question her for, you know, dating a man who was providing for them when they were gone. She did what she had to do.
1: But she was also... I feel like he judged her, though. I feel like he tried to... Yeah. ...understand and, and suppress it. Yeah. But it, he couldn't get over it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He couldn't get past it. He couldn't um, just, you know... He was trying, but Cuddy yeah. wasn't trying to let him, right? Yeah. He, was like-
0: <laughs> he wasn't going to give him that pride of being like... Everyone was saying, you're going to take this money and no matter what yeah, you do. Yeah, and I
1: think, you know, it's so funny. And, um, you know, I, I related this to men coming home from prison mm-hmm. now because a lot of men are coming home from prison because they're letting them out because they got the COVID, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that you just don't know is what people experience behind bars. The... First of all, sitting in your house, people are, are freaking out, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're dealing with quarantine and, you know, not going out and doing the things that we're used to doing uh, much more than we were before. And luckily my household is very peaceful and calm. I get along with my family and everybody's great, but I know that that's not the case necessarily in every place and that every place is not comfortable um, to go in. Now think about it. I have a, a cousin uh, that is has been in prison for the bulk of our lives. We grew up like two peas in a pod. Um, we were ten months apart, and um, but he's been in solitary confinement for um, so many years. You know what I mean? He's probably there right now as we speak, and it, it you you just lose people mm-hmm. in your in your heart that you that are not gone, right? They're here. Um, And so when people come home from war, from being gone and being absent from people's lives, the other person who they're coming home to has no idea what that person has had to endure to even get back to them, right? So like you said, that she can't hold him responsible, but he also couldn't, so I think that was the dynamic that we saw in both of those relationships was neither person able to really empathize with what the other person had been through, and that that clash of of both of those things. It's, a, it's I just feel like we just don't see that in movies anymore. Yeah. I feel like that that is so hard to create and be honest and tell those type of stories. Like I can't even remember. I can't recall anything remotely close <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in recent years that that kind of like gives you that much clash and resolve
0: dead presidents didn't try to sensationalize those these adult issues of people coming home from war or prison and the both of the character all of the char- both the characters of Anthony and Juanita they were adults with good intentions but still had this conflict. And that's something to be appreciated for the movie is it shows you, like, the harsh realities but doesn't sensationalize it kind of like Falling Down does where they go, here's the conflict, let's turn it up to 10 and, you know, send Michael Douglas spinning off like a top. We were talking about the sisters, and to me, the character of Delilah, I wanted to see more of her because you see her as a young, precocious young woman who has a crush on Anthony, but then the next time you see her... She's a righteous member of the Nat Turner Brigade, uh, it, it wrapped up in Black Power. She's uh, uh, educated in all of the uh, literature of the movement, and she's also like a leader of the movement. And I thought that was really cool. But then I'm still struggling to see what is her motivation in this heist, other than other than sticking it to the man and you know pulling off. Um, crush on Anthony do you think she's yep. still harboring that crush on him
1: oh absolutely you don't those crushes don't die yeah right and and especially your first love it, it just is one of those things that um it looked like she she you know she didn't have a small crush, yeah. she had a big crush. When he came home, she still had the same crush. Um, she met up with him, she had the same crush. And so they kind of like gave you those breadcrumbs. Um, you know, they did it, the obligation, sticking it to the man, and I know weapons, they yeah. threw that in as a side, side thing, but it was mostly because she felt for her brother-in-law yeah. and wanted to do whatever she could to kind of like Hey, do something for the movement, but also to see if she can help her, I, you know, and it was not thought out. It goes back to what you said that I, it would have been interesting to see a lot more of them as opposed to, you know, I, Vietnam.
0: Right? Yeah, well, yeah. her character divorced, Yeah, divorced from the whole heist and getting shot by the police. Her whole character would have had an interesting uh, trajectory
1: absolutely that would have been a very fast now I wonder if different renditions of the script had that um storyline in it you know Uh what I mean like this feels like a very long script like you know the standard 120 pages um yeah in terms of, of, of density in terms of how how thick that concept was so it could have already it could have been in there and got
0: you know excised out for time and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because subtextually i know her character had a lot of going on and I i think that's something you can put in the positive column at least this movie left you wanting more of its ensemble of characters and each character did seem to have a rich uh backstory in life even if it didn't make it to the screen yeah
1: and i think that's just kind of the contrast of these two movies right one had a you know, twice the amount of money to do it, mm-hmm. and the other had uh, a lot less, but they they were able to pull out a lot more um, from it. And, you know, not for nothing, it's something to be said about brothers as directors. I love the Cohen brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hughes brothers are, were just as, uh, you know, talented in terms of their storytelling uh, abilities, in terms of how to tell those stories. Um, so, you know, it's just something that we don't get to see too often two minds are better than ones when it comes to directing. I, I even like uh, Who's the Matrix sisters? Um, uh
0: Wachowskis, yeah. The
1: Wachowski sisters, right? I think they're...
0: <coughs> they're that, isn't that also like the DGA makes it so hard to allow people to have co-directing credit? That's why we don't see it more often.
1: They do. They make it... You don't see it as much uh, now at all. You yeah. see it a lot in EPs, so you'll see a writer team. Yeah, yeah. Um, you'll see it in, in, in writer's rooms, but you'll it very rarely see it in directing just because of probably how they pay the royalties, if, if you really wanna come down to <laughs> the capitalism at yeah. it all. It makes it more difficult for them. they like, look, we ain't about to change nothing. We always talk about story. We never talk about filmmaking, and I, I just think that Dead Presidents had, you know, its own look. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it did not make me ever feel like I wasn't in that era from, I think it starts in 68. Yeah. Um, It always, I always felt like I was right there i, I you know it, it felt like a time a period piece so. all the all
0: the period stuff w- was great for me vietnam to me looked really whack like i was like I, initially i was like are they shooting this in griffith park so i like looked it up well no they're shooting it in florida which is like you could tell they just like put like a styrofoam temple over here then like put some palm oh. trees here they're like okay it's vietnam now I was kinda like but yeah, you know but don't do it. Please. Budgetary issues, you know, I, I feel for them.
1: I mean they did what they could with that budget, right? They yeah, worked the, the hell out
0: of it. The period stuff looked great, like
1: for a person like me who looks at it, right? We have a, a president who's done it. literally if you can't get rid of a president who's done the amount mm-hmm. of things that he's done. Oh yeah. Uh, then then what chance do we have of anybody getting you know anyone out of office who is harming Americans right or or Bush
0: and him and Bush too it's like absolutely we don't why do we even have these checks on balance of power and checks on control when they don't appear to be working at all
1: I feel the same way about people who have been in that circle right Mm -hmm. so we'll find out look Trump just sprung every single person that got prosecuted, right? Like, <laughs> all the people who yeah. were convicted, um, they, they like, oh yeah, they served two whole days and let's let them go, right? The people who uh, cheated and got their children uh, free tuition in the college, they were in jail for five seconds and now they're, you know, they're out. Yeah. So, you know, we don't treat people the same way. This goes back to, our movies, right? Yeah. Impresses. If you do, if you're, you know, the guy who's, you know, now you can be at the end of the pier with a gun and them not come and tackle you and shoot you and kill you with the sniper, right? Sniper. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. If he was black. He would have been dead, right? What, yeah. What are we doing? So Anthony, who you know, commits this crime of obligation, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, it's a cr- you know, because yeah. it thrown at him. Yeah. Right?
0: They gave him the harshest sentence they possibly could have given possibly.
1: him. Right? And so it's just like, so to me, the I'm not saying that you're wrong. You're not wrong. I'm saying that the end result, we already seen this movie play out. And what happens at the end is they get away with it. And so what are we doing? Okay, let's let's focus on something else because yeah. I'm not going to sit in here and waste my
0: energy. You have to choose your battles, right? What's what's the most pragmatic bo- battle you can win? Like uh, just today, we see uh, protesters at um, Mayor Garcetti's house because we have you know we still have police violence. We're still seeing incidents every day in L.A. and across the country where police are beating people down in the streets. And we're f- also, we're facing an eviction crisis where the moratorium's up and landlords are starting to evict people. So yeah, so that's a battle, you know, someone could easily, I, I could go out today in the street and join the protest at Garcetti's house, you know.
1: You have to play it out to the end. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that anything that I'm focusing on, cause right now I have to focus on figuring out, they've thrown this shit in my lap and they're like, hey, you're gonna be a parent. And you're gonna to have to work full time, so now you're gonna be yeah. a teacher, a parent, and work full time. Good luck. We're you know
0: simultaneously.
1: Local, you know, and we just threw this on you. So for me, my my focus is totally different. Of course, I have a master's in business, uh, and they talk about opportunity costs. You have to choose to focus your attention on the thing that's gonna give you the best result.
0: Yeah, I think we talked about these two movies. Falling Down and Dead Presidents 2.
1: But you think they're pretty pretty close, right? Pretty close in relation. Thematically? Mm hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, these are, um, it's a good double feature, these two movies. Both tragedies. Um, they'd be very different movies if they're made today. Uh, they have, you know, Falling Down with its divorced dad, slightly MAGA adjacent ener- energy. Would not be kind of a treat to watch in cinemas today. And Dead Presidents, you know, we've had someone who's 21 years old today has lived through constant war, being on the background of their life, their whole life. So if you made this movie today, maybe it'd be addressing um, Afghanistan or Iraq, something like that. Yeah.
1: Um, You know, I still don't know what the what the launching point for vietnam was but from what i understand um nobody is (laughs) it just kind of was like yeah we're gonna go start that um so but vietnam in particular uh messed up a lot of people and when they came home they didn't come home to anything no warm reception they came home to more animosity so it was an interesting backdrop i don't think that the iraq war kind of had the same uh, Controversy—it was controversial, of course, but not in terms of just uh, being uh, how do you, uh, kind of a leper when you come home, right? Wasn't, yeah. You're
0: right. Well, the cult, the culture, um, digested that whole era differently, that whole war differently. But I think there's definitely similarities, other than you know, as as far as the U.S. why it got involved and what they're seeking to get out of it you know influence on the world stage and access to certain resources and whatnot Um, and the futility of it all but i think the difference with vietnam is people were watching war on television you know broadcast on on video and kind of seeing the horrors firsthand so i think even though now we have round the clock cable news as we get into these new wars you know, after a week or two, they just kind of stop showing it to you, even though we have greater ability to to it so it's become something the broader culture is just encouraged to pretend isn't happening, and without a draft, it's not affecting as many people directly. so it's very easy to forget you know, but it's I think it's always there underlying our whole um uh, institutional system is that. We're a we're a country that does unjust war, and often loses too. It does a bad job at even right. being the the war mongers. But
1: um, I honestly think we're right there right now. Mm-hmm. I think this generation, this next generation, is going to experience a, a warfare that that um, has never. Seen before, we're so vulnerable right now, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of vulnerability is just uh, opens up to kind of a different exposure. Whether it's a civil war here on our own grounds amongst ourselves, we're gonna be fighting amongst family, um, or somebody's gonna come in and you know give it to us. But either way, I know that the the direction. I I, I pray to God that I'm wrong, um, but it just. Feels that there is just we're sitting on a powder keg um, and that that type of uh, kind of innocence is going to be lost uh, with this next generation and i don't even think they know it you know they don't realize um that we're at a tipping point you know people are buying guns uh, like Mm -hmm. nobody's business and they're arming themselves and so and and who can blame who can blame them because the police ain't coming you know now they're an antagonistic force yeah. so it's just kind of like you know where where are you mm-hmm. you know so these two movies kind of like show it you know was a precursor to to present day.
0: All right, well, thanks for uh, joining us on this conversation of dead presidents and falling down. Until we see you next time, you can always uh, make suggestions, uh, tell uh, you know, cancel me, tell us where we're wrong, talk movies with us on the Facebook group, Black and White Movies. Um, and then we're on Twitter and Instagram, BNW Movies Pod. You can always email us at blackandwhitemoviespodcast.gmail.com. Just yell at us in, in, in any, any of those avenues. We love it. So uh, until next time, thank you, Danielle.
1: Thank you, Jared.
0: All right, uh, toodaloo.
1: to i still a bye bye.